Well, we are blessed with some good young people and some people who minister to them. Thank you for those who are involved in leading Pathfinders and Adventurers. And this is, for young people here, this is your church. And you belong here, and you matter here, and you're making a dis- difference right here. We're blessed with some young people here. And we have uh, been going through a study on the fundamental beliefs. So we've come to fundamental number 13, and it's called the remnant and its mission. I'm going to pause one more time and pray for this study. Lord, I pray that you would guide our thoughts as we think about your word and the truth that we understand as a church. And we dedicate this time to you. I pray that Jesus would be lifted high. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's actually an image on the side of our building that you don't see very much. If the trees were cut down, you might see them. But facing the highway, there's an image of a world and three angels. And then it says Revelation 14, verse 6 through 14. So you see it right on the screen, just like this. So that is, if you walk around the side of the building and go past the door into the school and look on the side, you'll see that right there. And to the general public, this might not mean a whole bunch. But to a Seventh-day Adventist, this is very familiar. So we know exactly what this means. Or do we? If I asked everyone in this room what these, these images mean, do you think I'd get the same response from everybody? So we have, all of us, pretty much all of us, have a clear association with those images and the Seventh-day Adventist Church, but we don't all associate the same emotions or traditions or beliefs with those images. For some, these images are very positive. They are a sense of purpose as a church, They are a sense of prophetic calling. They are motivation to share a message no one else in the world is sharing. Did I cut off? So for some, these are very positive. For some, unfortunately, these images are actually negative. Maybe these images have been seen to you as um, a theological trump card that any idea you had for ministry, if it didn't measure up to somebody else's, It's just pushed aside because it's not the three angels' messages. I saw this in one very clear example. I was 23 years old. Believe it or not, I was a pastor. So I started pastoring at 23 years old, and I was so excited to be doing work in ministry. There was a church that I was responsible to lead, and I think it was my very first conference town hall meeting. I had to drive a long ways. Uh, So I drive there, and I just felt kind of, excited and honored to be a part of this sort of thing. And I listened to all the things the Idaho Conference was doing, and I got very excited because there were ministries that were changing lives. And they were all new to me. I was just starting out. And I remember hearing about the radio station. And I got really pumped to hear the good things this radio station was doing. It was right out of Jim State Academy, um, in the facilities there, and it was reaching the Treasure Valley And they were telling about baptisms because of people hearing about the good news and coming to churches. All the kinds of good stuff. And some well-meaning person in the back says, uh, after all that good report, says, Hey, I just really have an issue with this 
because they're not preaching the three angels' message. And I realized right then that there was a division in the room. Like, as soon as he raised his hand, all that good stuff, God-glorifying, good work, gospel work that was being done, that I got very excited about, for about half the room meant nothing, because it didn't quite make, meet that person's understanding of what the three angels' messages were. So for some, these images are positive. For some, they've been used like code word to say, what you're doing for God actually isn't appropriate. For some, we have put too much into these images. It's amazing the different doctrines we can embed in these little images. Like, pull out things that I never read in Revelation 14, but somehow they're connected. And for some, we've put too little. Like, we forget the significance of God's end-time message for the world. For some, I'm going to say too little about these things, and for some, I'm going to say too much. So we don't associate the same things with these images. But I think we can open Scripture and look at our fundamental belief, which are so well-worded. I don't know if you've got that impression as we've gone through now the 13th fundamental belief. We might have some confusion as Adventists, but our fundamental beliefs are carefully and prayerfully worded, and I'm very grateful for them. They help us have clarity on some very confusing points. And this one's so well-worded, and I think they're things that can get us excited about the images on the side of our building. So I have four points I'm going to pull out right out of the fundamental beliefs. There's way more we could study in Revelation 14. There's a lot in there. But just right out of the wording of the fundamental beliefs as it parallels Revelation 14, I'm going to look at four points. These are four things that we should see when we look at a planet Earth and three angels flying to it, and the words Revelation 14, 6 through 12. So here's the first thing that I hope we can see, is the remnant refers to those believers who remain in God's love, while many others turn away. So I hope that when we see those things, we think, hold on to God's love, because there's a whole lot of people in our world, and increasingly so, who are going to turn away from this awesome God we serve. And I don't want to be one of those. So I hope when I see those images, I just think, I'm going to hold on to Jesus by his strength, but I'm going to hold on to that love. And we see love all over this message. Um, the fundamental belief 13 says, in the last days, a time of widespread apostasy. So that's what I, why I put the words, while many others turn away. There is a biblical uh, system uh, or a, a, a biblical uh, study for the, the idea that many are not going to stay faithful in the end. It comes from all different writers. There's this concept that as we get closer to the end, many will not stay faithful. So there's a time of widespread apostasy. A remnant has been called out. John 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and you'll remember it says in there, Jesus says, remain in my love. And that's like the heartbeat of what a Christian does. We remain in his love. The chapter starts out with the vine and the branches, you know that illustration, and then it says, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And remaining is what remnant is all about. Dictionary dot com says remnant means a remaining usually a small group it says but something that remains when others have left so when we see that word remnant we can think of those words jesus said 
remain in my love. That is remnant. Stay holding on to my love. And there's a pattern we see all through Scripture. Have you ever read the story of the children of Israel and just seen how many times they choose to walk away from God's love? Like, when we read that story, we should see a human tendency to turn away from the best thing in the world. It's just a tendency in humanity keeps turning away. And what is God's pattern when his people turn away? He calls them back, and when they refuse it, he preserves a remnant. We see this in Isaiah. Um, I'm going to go quickly if you want all the references. They're on the blog, but this is Isaiah 11, 11. And in Isaiah 11, 11, it says that there was a apostasy. And that day the Lord will extend his hand, hand yet a second time and recover a remnant that remains of his people. In Jeremiah, it says the same thing. There, this is 23, verse 3. Then there will be gathered a remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. So God's pattern was, if you are willing, you can be a part of a group who remains. I will call a remnant. This happened in the Middle Ages, and we get this in Revelation chapter 12. That's a very familiar one. We went over that a few weeks ago when we covered the great controversy. But there was a time, times, and half a time. There was a period of prophetic years that we understand to have happened in these Middle Ages. And the church was driven into the wilderness, and God protected a remnant because there was ferocious attacks by this dragon or the serpent in Revelation 12. And it says in Revelation 12, verse 17, that the dragon attacked the seed of the woman, but there was a remnant, those who kept the commandments of God, and held, held to the testimony of Jesus. So we see in the Middle Ages, there was widespread apostasy, even among, especially among, Christians, professed, professed church leaders, but God preserved a remnant. So when we come to the end, and we see that there will be a remnant, like it says in Thessalonians, do not be deceived, before the second coming, there will be a, a rebellion. We can expect that God will be faithful to preserve anyone who wants to, to be a part of that, to be people who hold on to his love. He wants us to be faithful, and he's preserving a remnant. And we see that in Revelation 14. So this pattern is, we are so quick to turn from God, and God offers every invitation for us to stay in his love. So we have some characteristics of what that attack might look like. We're familiar with Matthew 24 as signs of the ends of the times. Once again, love comes to the surface there. I'm going to flip to Matthew 24, just highlight a few of these verses. I'm going to start in verse 12. It says, And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So we're talking about apostasy, end time people leaving God, and it says, because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. Because remnant means remaining in love. So those who endure to the end are those who don't let the wickedness of the world cause our love to grow cold. We are holding on to God's love. Well, there are several tools used to bring us out of that love relationship with God. I'm going to back up to verse 4. Right after the questions asked about the end of the age, Jesus says, And Jesus answered them, 
See that no one leads you astray. This is the strategy of the enemy of God's church. Leading astray. See that no one deceives you, in other translations. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So we we know a strategy is lead those faithful people out of God's love. Deceive them, trick them, especially deception about Christ. Right here in verse 5. Lead them out of God's love. And then we see another tool when we flip down to verse 9. This is another strategy that might lead you out of God's love. And they, delivered, they will be delivered up to tribulation and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So another strategy of evil forces is make life terribly miserable and hard. Persecution, tribulation. If I can get them so miserable, maybe they'll let go of God's love. Another strategy we might see is, not in Matthew 24, but in the letters to Timothy, we see a repeated um, strategy of the evil one for those who remain in his love. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, and then I'll read one from 2 Timothy. See if you can pick up on this strategy. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So there's some people who can't put up with pure doctrine, but they launch into these other teachings, right? And then we see it reinforced in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3-4. through 4. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I think this is so important. The Bible tells us that one strategy to take us out of love is to distract us from Jesus by religious conspiracies and preferences. I have itching ears because I like this thing, so I'm going to go this way and it's going to distract me from the love of God. Or there's this myth, and I just really like having secret knowledge, so I'm just going to watch every YouTube video on this thing, and I'm going to go off into some conspiracy or myth that does not help me love God, and I'm going to wander away from remaining in His love. The Bible is very careful to say, don't wander after things that actually don't lead you into the heart of God. Maybe they're interesting, but if they're taking your eyes off Jesus, if they're making you step out of God's love, they're not helping you hold on when the devil's trying to lead you away. So all of this is, has one key. Remain in what? God's love. So, when we see those images, we should think, those three angels, I see them flying, we should think, God is calling my heart to remain in his love. That is a wonderful invitation. And then when we see those images, we should think the remnant is distinctly inclusive. It's kind of a clash of terms, and I chose it for a reason. 
distinctly inclusive. So Revelation 14.6 begins the message, and you can see concepts of inclusivity. It says, Now I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. It is for everyone. So this is not a gospel for one gender, one continent, one denomination, one style, one color. This is for everybody. It's for the world. God, God's heart is for everybody. Just a couple verses to remind you of God's heart. That inclusivity is right at the heart of God. God so loved the world, not just me. He did love me, but he loved the world. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He died for the sins of the whole world. And we see the inclusive language in our fundamental belief. It begins with, the universal church is composed of all who truly believe in Christ. And then it ends with, every believer is called to have a personal part in this worldwide witness. But we should see that is distinctly inclusive because there's a type of inclusivity that's not biblical. Right? So, you maybe have heard terms like universalism. God makes a universal invitation to everybody. But universalism is the idea that he loves us so much that everyone's just going to make it in the end and we actually don't need life trains and change and transformation and we don't need to train ourselves in godliness. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, and God will get us there in the end. So that's a type of universalism or inclusivity that's just not in Scripture. Because when the angel comes, his inclusivity is through an eternal gospel. It is not the inclusivity of a world that says, I don't want to offend your preferences, so we're just going to pretend everyone's doing the right thing. It's actually an inclusivity that says there's this gospel that will transform your life. And every single one of you are invited into the transforming work of God so that we can belong. Not because we already have it figured out and we're already approved and we're already doing the right stuff, but because God wants to transform our lives. So there's this inclusive invitation. Nobody's left out, but it's distinct. We are brought in by the transforming work of Jesus Christ. So it is distinctly inclusive. And I think that there's some pitfalls that we should identify when we think of distinction and inclusion. Can you think of any pitfalls? If I look at the, that, that circle and those angels and those words, and I think too much on the distinct part or too much on the inclusion part and don't have distinctly inclusive together, there's some pitfalls. So I'll identify pitfall number one. Pitfall number one, I am calling... Got to get to my note here. So pitfall number one is the exclusive pitfall of misunderstanding that we are the only group God is working among. I think that's a pitfall. God is big, and I don't have a monopoly on him, do I? So I think that a pitfall would be to come to terms like remnant or see images like those three angels and let it do a very spiritually destructive thing and produce pride and elitism and separation in, in a superior way. 
I think that would be tragic to the Advent movement. I think it has been tragic in the Advent movement. A pitfall would be to think that I am called out because I'm better than them. And we see that in our society in, in ways that are never attractive. So I came across a story this week that was pretty interesting to me. I was searching on YouTube, preparing for this message, and I just had YouTube open, and I typed in the search bar, remnant. I had no idea what would come up. So just type remnant into the search bar in YouTube, and thumbnail picture after thumbnail picture had this, this lady with huge hair. <laughs> like, this massive hair. So they caught my attention because it's like, whoa, her hair is huge. And, and I got reading, and this was the story of Gwen Shamblin. I'd never heard of her before. But Gwen Shamblin started a church. Uh, before a church, she started a weight loss movement. Um, and she believed she was a prophetess, prophetess of God. And then she started a church. And that church, there's all kinds of very negative things about that church online right now. And I wasn't there, so I'm not going to... Um, endorse any of those. I don't know what was happening, but what I do know is that tragically, Gwen Shamblin and six members of her church died last May in a plane crash. So they had a private jet, and they, they crashed, and when she died, all these stories of the church endorsing or encouraging child abuse and um, eating disorders came out, and it was very ugly. And then I listened to messages and the, the reason it came up on YouTube with her is that her church is called Remnant Fellowship Church. And her message is that of all the churches in the world, this is the only true church. This church right here that I'm pastoring. This is the only one. God is not anywhere else. And I listened to those messages and thought, you know, when I make exclusive claims about being the only one God is working among, it almost always ends up looking really ugly. Like, the, the press about her story makes God and Christianity look not good. And it hurt people. And lives are broken because they said every other movement, that is false, and my movement is true. And it turns out that from my viewpoint, just watching a few videos, it didn't look like the Spirit of God in that remnant church. So it is so easy, if we're interested in the title remnant, but we're not interested in the characteristics of the remnant, it's so easy to make that church not look like God. I don't care about the title. I want the characteristics. I want to be a church that's in love with Jesus, that's holding on to him, that's pursuing truth, that's being transformed, that has a message for our world today. That's what I want. I don't want people to look at me and say, he thinks he's better than me. So there's a pitfall. There's a big pitfall in exclusivity. Anytime I think, Nobody's going to be saved unless they become like me. Or the way I do it, the way I say it, is the only way the Holy Spirit approves of. Everything else is a false spirit. That's probably setting me up to be pretty narrow-minded about the work of God. There's another pitfall, and that would be a pitfall of being, too, being inclusive in a non-biblical way. To the point that I don't see any special work of God in this church. That would be a pitfall. To think that God is not working in the Palmer Seventh-day Adventist Church or the Alaska Conference or the 
worldwide movement of the Seventh-day Seventh Adventists, that would be a, a big loss to, to be so repulsed by remnant claims that we look at the church and say, oh, we're not actually special. You know what we'd miss out on on that? We would miss out on, we'd actually be rejecting God's special work to do something great among us. It's all about him, not about us. So there's a study that is done. I think it's done regularly, but not yearly, by Andrew, uh, Southern Adventist University. And they ask, like, pages and pages of questions. It's called the Adventist Connection Study. So they ask questions about, they try to determine how connected young people feel to the church. And there's one section that has statements of belief, things that our church in, as a whole would affirm. And then they rate um, from, like, one to five, how strongly do I agree with this? And consistently, there's one area that, uh, that ranks way below the others. And it's the statement that says this. The Seventh-day Adventist church is God's last-day church with a message to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. So there's statements like, God created the world. And it's like 85% of them say, I strongly agree. And then there's statements like, uh, the Sabbath is a day of rest. And it's like, you know, 75%. But when they say, the Seventh-day Adventist church is God's last day church, only 40 of those in 2018 said, I strongly agree. And I think that's another pitfall. I think that it would be God-honoring for us to look at the evidences of the Holy Spirit in the history of this movement and to see that God has a special work upon our church. And then to engage in that with all our hearts and to, to know that it's not about me being superior, but it's about God doing a work. And I don't want to, to be all humble in a way that says, oh, I can't, I can't recognize the hand of God so much that I say, we're just like everybody else, right? There's a work that God is doing through the Seventh-day Adventist Church that nobody else in the world is doing. It's true. There's a message that God has given that no one else says quite like our beliefs say it. There is a world hungry for the character of God, and I haven't found any better picture of it than in what we have written down as our fundamental beliefs. I've never found any better picture of the love of God. So one pitfall would be to say, we are the only ones God is working among. Let's not do that. When we see those, that, that circle and, and those um, angels, let's not think that God, we have a monopoly on God. But another pitfall would be to say, God isn't at work here. Our church, shame on us for thinking we're special. We're not special because we're better, but... God's work is happening here in a way that we should embrace. I'm so grateful for the truths that we believe as a church. And they, they're life-changing. I believe they are, it's the message the world needs to hear. Our world needs to know about a soon-coming Savior. Our world is exhausted and stressed out. They need to hear a message of rest in the Sabbath. Our world needs to hear a picture of the love of God. Let's not fall into the pitfall that there's nothing special happening among this church. Now, God's at work in all kinds of places. He's at work right here, too. There's a verse I referenced earlier, Isaiah 11, 11, and it 
It guards us against pitfall number one. <laughs> it, it talks about a remnant, and then it continues. I didn't read the whole verse. It continues and says, I have a remnant, and it, you know where he has a remnant? He says, I have a remnant of my people from Assyria, from Egypt, from, from Pathrosh, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar. You know where some of these places are. From Hamath and from the coastlands of the sea. Shinar is Babylon, Egypt, you know, Egypt and Syria. God is saying, I got people everywhere. And so when we exclusively think there's no work anywhere else, it's like God spoke to Elijah and he said, actually, I have a whole bunch of people who haven't built, bowed a knee to Baal. This message is distinctly inclusive. It is for everybody. But we see evidence of God moving in a direction, and I don't want to deny that. I want to embrace that and be a part of that. So when we see those images, nope, maybe we won't see them. You want to go to the next slide? We see those images on the side of our building. We should see those angels, and we should feel a call to live out our distinct calling with the inclusive love of God. Wouldn't that be a balance we could strike? A godly balance to recognize the hand of God on the movement, but to do it in such an inclusively loving way that it's not pride, it's not arrogance, it's just love. Inviting people into the movement of God. And when we see those images, um, we can be reminded that the remnant is identified by some really special things. I love these phrases. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now, I've had appreciation for that phrase before. This week, I've grown to appreciate that phrase even more. You've heard that before, right? So it comes in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. It has a similar phrase in Revelation 12, 17. But it comes at the very end of these three angels who have this end-time message for the world. Here it is summarized. Keeping the commandments of God and having the faith of Jesus. So we'll take those one at a time. Keeping the commandments of God takes us right back to love. Because keeping commandments is the fruit of love, not the source of salvation. It's Commandment keeping and love are so connected in Scripture, it's remarkable. I'll read a few of these things that, that you'll remember. So, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. John 15, 9 and 10 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Love and commandment keeping are so closely connected. It says in Romans 13.10, Love is the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew, 24, or, uh, in Matthew 22, when it starts talking about the greatest commandment, both of them are love. <laughs> And every other commandment hangs on those things. So we are a group that remains in his love. It's going to be pretty obvious that in identifying Mark is we're keeping God's commandments. Because that is what the fruit of love is. Love binds us to the heart of God and God has a really good way for us to live. And he's let us know about it. So this is an identifying mark of those who remain in his love is we are going to have a fruit of that love 
that makes us want to follow that God we love so much. And then it says, they have the faith of Jesus. Now, that's a different word than Revelation 12. Revelation 12 says they have the testimony of Jesus. So I think there's four ways you can understand this. We'll start with faith of Jesus. Two ways for each. I could have the faith that Jesus had as a human, or I could have faith in Jesus. That's two ways. Now we go to the testimony of Jesus. I could have a testimony about Jesus. I could tell you what he's done. Or I could hold on to the testimony Jesus had on this earth, what he said about himself. Now we could try to argue which one of those four is best. I'll take them all. Like, I want faith in Jesus. I want the type of faith Jesus had. I want to have a testimony about Jesus, and I want to be faithful to what Jesus said about himself while he's on this earth. You notice they have a common theme. They're all about Jesus. So here's why I love these phrases even more this week. I guess I just never quite saw this as the perfect gospel balance for the Christian. Like we've talked about in fundamental belief number 10, the experience of salvation. God acts. Humans respond. It's not by works. We talked about in fundamental belief number 11 that God's grace is so good it doesn't just forgive us. It changes us and empowers us. We actually live different because Christ transforms us. In these two statements, we have the balance of the gospel. We have righteousness by faith. Jesus saves us and transforms lives that align ourselves with the commandment in the heart of God. So what it's telling us is that the world needs clear biblical presentation of the gospel. That's what Jesus, when he comes with the everlasting gospel, those angels want the world to know the gospel unpolluted. That the gospel is salvation by grace through faith, and it changes your life, and you can live according to the commandments of God. So this is a perfect gospel balance that I see in these angels' messages. And then when we look at them, we should feel a call on our hearts for an experience of the gospel in a way that we are never going to want to let go of it. I want to experience the gospel so deeply that I will never let go of that story. And then finally, the remnant has a message. And it's identified in our fundamental belief uh, with three, three specific messages. It's probably more broad than this, but this is how our statement of fundamental belief says it. It says, the remnant announces the arrival of the judgment hour, proclaims salvation through Christ, and heralds the approach of the second advent. So, three things. Judgment hour, salvation through Christ, and approach of second advent. These are messages God sends out, but the awesome thing is he actually invites us to participate in them. He wants us to amplify the message he has for the world. So when he comes and announces the judgment hour, he wants us to let people know God's the God of justice, we're looking for justice. God has it, and we're living in the end times where God is getting ready to come back, and his reward is with him. People need to know salvation by grace through faith. People need to know that their Savior is coming. So when we look at these messages, images on the wall, we can think of Jesus as our Savior, and as our judge, and as our soon-coming I sh I'm pretty sure 
that these images still have different associations and interpretations for each one of us. But I think these images can call us to an awesome vision that God has to share his truth with the world. I want to be those type of people who hold on to the love of God, who are distinct but inclusive in God's love, and who recognize that we have a special message that the world needs to hear and find ways to let that message be heard loud and clear. So I want you to think about how you identify with these images. And Jared's going to play for us. Come on up here, Jared. And as, as you feel a call on your heart to remain in God's love, take a time of prayer and commit to that. As you hear this music, just let it be a time between you and God, and then Bonnie's going to come up and lead us in a benediction.